Casey and Laura, you'll notice some of them. One of them is Haley, who is now no longer Haley Chambers, but is Haley Wiggers as of Friday night. You'll notice Gavin Garnett's name on there. Uh, son graduated from Southern New Hampshire University. A uh, couple people here, Marsha Coomer is here, uh, graduated from, oh, I'll, I'm going to look and I'm going to know this in just a second. Uh, Bachelor of Silence in Nursing. Congratulations, Marsha. Adam Mason. Where are you, Adam? Police Academy. Congratulations. Watch out for Adam. He's Now he's the heat. <laughs> Sammy. Um, Sammy graduated from high school. We have the high school graduates coming up. Sammy, where did you graduate from? I graduated from T Area High School. And uh, there was something I didn't know, and Sammy told me about it. It's um, I think we think it, it it's in most public schools. They have to either do a special project or an internship as part of their senior year. Sammy, what was your what was your internship in? Um, we did an internship where you spend nine weeks in the classroom learning about your job site, and then you spend nine weeks on your job site, and you just basically a shadow. You shadow whatever you're interested in going in, like a field you're interested in going into. And what internship did you do, Sammy? Where, where, where were you involved? I interned at All About You Adoptions. It's a nonprofit adoption agency, and they all work from their homes, so they don't actually have an office. But. Wow. And in terms of your experience there, I know it, 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 Sammy, if you know anything about Sammy, she's cultivated a deep ability to take care of lots of kids. She has a lot of practice. Is that right? Right. <laughs> What do you, you enjoy about that, Sammy? What do you come to respect or appreciate about your internship? Um, social, work, social workers really do a lot for people. They, they help with adoptions, foster care. I really learned that they dedicate themselves to their jobs. Their slogan is, it's not our job, it's our life. Hmm. So I really enjoyed working with all of them. And um, you, then, are going to be, what are your plans now? I'm going to go to the University of South Dakota, and I'm going to major in social work and minor in psychology. You know what I think? I think we have another one of those dedicated social workers who will have what it takes to be able to put other people first, and let's pray for Sammy in that respect. Okay? God, thanks so much for Sammy and for her character and her desire to connect with you and to connect with people, to alleviate suffering and to serve. Thank you for heart and her capacity to do that, and as she moves to the next phase of her education, equip her with everything she needs to do your will, and work in her that which is pleasing in your sight, through Jesus, whom be the glory for and ever and ever. Amen. Congratulations, Sammy. Marsha and I went back to Boston to see Gavin graduate. Being back in that area, I was reminded of traffic challenges in the Northeast. Um, there's a number of reasons why there's traffic challenges. We live about three miles from Route 1. Route 1 is a three-lane highway. Now, you can only go 55, but still, three-lane highway. And when you are coming off of Water Street, you go on to Water Street, and then you come out off and you come up to a, a ramp to enter onto Route 1. It's a three-lane highway. Everybody going 55. There is no merge lane 
on this road. You go from a stop, and then you have to zoom and get right out into traffic at 55 miles an hour. And there's a couple things that that means. It's a reason why in Boston you have to have an annual car inspection. And you really do. And they have to, your car has to pass because if, if your car is a clunker, it's going to have a very difficult time getting around in, in Boston. And um, another thing you see that in Boston there's no shortage of dinged cars. And you'll notice, you look around in Boston, there's some pristine cars, but very often there's little bumps, and that makes the auto painting business very popular. So the Columbia Auto Painting Company, they amassed a number of literal, where well, they asked people to explain what happened in the accident. What happened? And here are some actual wordings. Okay, this is what they said. One man says, I thought my window was down, but found out it was up when I put my hand through it. I've been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. I was taking my canary to the hospital. It got loose in the car and flew out the window. The next thing I saw was his rear end and there was a crash. I was thrown from my car as it left the road. I was later found in a ditch by some stray cows. I was on my way to the doctor with rear end trouble. when my universal joint gave way, causing me to have an accident. <laughs> In my attempt to kill a fly, I drove into a telephone pole. My car was legally parked as it backed into the other vehicle. Sorry about this one. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. <laughs> Another reason, I'm looking down at my mother-in-law, another reason for accidents are rotaries. Uh, rotaries are when a number of different streets, they come roundabouts, they call them, and we've got a couple here, but there's a big one on the way to Logan Airport. You get off Route 1, again, you understand how you get onto Route 1, and then you get off of Route 1 going to Logan Airport, and there's a couple major, major thoroughfares that all come into this Rotary, And so the deal is you need to get into the rotary. You need to find and position yourself in a way that you can get off where you need to get off. And it's very challenging, kind of fun. You need to have a zippy little car. And, and I am then defending why I drive as quickly as I do. I've been, yeah, I won't get into that. Um, saying, what does this have to do for the search and the search for serenity? Um, it can be some very confusing intersections in terms of as we try to make sense of this belief and that belief. And we know that God is just and fair, but then we look around at a world that is neither just nor fair. And we wonder, if God is directing traffic, why does he let that happen? Why does he do that? Um, this will occupy our attention this morning in our ongoing search for serenity. If you look on the back of your sheet in your worship folder with the text, I'm going to read it. And this is the original one written by Ru Rudolf Niebuhr in 
1943, in the middle of the rise and fall of the Third Reich. That's what he says. God, give us grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. The the portion that we deal with this morning, taking as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Martian Manhunter, Aquaman, and Flash with the original Justice League. Justice League. And I'm not sure he wasn't a candidate. Jesus, I don't think, would have made it into the Justice League. The fact is that there were many injustices that Jesus neither rectified or even rebuked. Um, The most difficult religious questions concern, I think, for us, why God seems to accept the unacceptable. And the Bible is filled with people who ask this question. Um, The book of the Old Testament, the final book of the Old Testament, is the book of Malachi. And Malachi's ministry took place nearly 100 years after the end of the Babylonian captivity. There were a couple of captivities. The northern kingdom of Israel was brought into captivity in the 8th century. And they were wiped out. The southern kingdom was taken into captivity at the end of the 6th century. And um, they were brought into captivity into Babylon. What happened when the Persians conquered the Babylonians, Cyrus, the Persian king, let the Jews return to their homeland. And he let them rebuild the temple, even gave them some funds to do so. Uh, Several decades after Cyrus did this, Haggai and Zechariah encouraged the people, don't just resettle here, rebuild the temple. And what they did, they issued glorious promises of God's blessing if they would do so. Talked about the return of God's own glorious presence. Then the decades went by. Eighty years later, the predictions Haggai and Zechariah made seemed like a cruel mockery. After the return from exile, The land Israel occupied was only a territory of about 20 by 25 miles. 20 by 25 miles, about 500 square miles. Mount Rushmore, that area is 2,000 square miles. Population, 150,000 of Israel at that time. Although they enjoyed religious toleration, they suffered opposition and harassment from their neighbors. In contrast to the glowing promises, they were plagued by economic privation, crop failure, drought, pestilence. Judah was no longer an independent nation. They were no longer ruled by an anointed king from the line of David. In contrast to Solomon's temple, the restored temple was not all that impressive smaller than the other one had been. 
Judah lacked miraculous evidences of God's presence. You know what, in general, what they had to do? Something that we have to do oftentimes. They had to live by faith, not by sight. They looked at their crops. They looked at their walls. They looked at their temple. They looked at their life. They looked at their strength. They looked at their realities. And they were not in a position to feel good about God from what they saw. They had to rely not on what their eyes saw, but what their ears heard him say. They had to live by faith, not by sight. Um, To Malachi, God addresses the resentment the people fell into. His prophecies resonate with any of us who wonder, why do bad things happen to good people? And good things happen to bad people. That's what we find in Malachi. Um, Look at the first verse, Malachi chapter 2. As you have worried, you have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he's pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord. As in days gone by, as in former years, he's wondering here, why do good things happen to bad people? He says, you have wearied the the Lord with your words. How? They said, by saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. And he's pleased with them. And this is a stab at God. Either he likes evil, and they're looking around and seeing what's happened. God really must like evil people because I tell you what, they are making a killing. Either God likes evil people or he's away without leave. Where is the God of justice? Uh, Jews weren't the only ones who looked around, looked into the heavens and shrugged. The word apathy comes from a Greek word, apatheia, which is without passion, without feeling. And what the Greeks did is they applied the word apathy to their gods. They said the gods were apathetic. And the reason why they said that is because they looked around and looked up and said, if the gods care, well, they couldn't care because look at what's happening. Look at bad things happening to good people and good things happen to bad people. These gods cannot care. They must be apathetic. So they weren't, the Jews were not the only ones wondering, why don't you balance the scales of justice? Wait, you have those questions. God does promise to address the issue. Not in the way we might imagine. Goes on, says, see, okay, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to the temple, to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? 
He will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. It's describing what Jesus will do. What ended up happening in those days, mirrors were reflective. Silver was reflective. You know what happens when silver becomes tarnished? You know, it becomes dull and yellow, goldish. And and then when you look at it, you can't see yourself. It doesn't reflect well. And so what you do is you take silver polish. And you take the silver polish and you put the – and it works pretty well. And you put it on and then it's reflective again. And what it's describing is Jesus' ministry. What Jesus came to do as the messenger of the covenant, he came to take some people who are kind of dull and non-reflective and go like this so that they could be reflective once again. Um, it, it, he says he will, and then it says, he will purify the Levites. He'll purify the Levites. The Levites were at the time, they were the priests. And at the time, they did not reflect to God. They, they did not reflect God's character clearly. And the people depended on the Levites to reflect God's character. They were the ones who were the spiritual guides, the spiritual authorities. And so the people looked to the Levites to reflect God. And when they saw, they saw dull, listless God was not reflected. So here's Jesus' ministry. Here's what he came to do. To take those individuals who are in a position to reflect God and enable them to do so. Um, To make it so, and then it goes on in the last verse. It says, then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. Um, Who is the messenger of the covenant? That's a slam dunk. It's Jesus. Remember what he said. This is the new covenant in my blood. Why did Jesus come to die? To inaugurate a new covenant. He's the messenger of the covenant. And um, the refiner's fire in the verse is directed at Levites, those to and through whom God chooses to reveal himself. Uh, Jesus said something interesting that we tend to get confused about. I'm just going to read. You listen. This is the night before Jesus is crucified. Now, what he's going to say, the night before he dies, he's going to say, I have completed the work you gave me to do. But he hasn't died yet. Completed the work. And he came to die, but that's not the only reason he came. Do you remember why he came? And what he ended up doing? Spending the better part of three years with 12. You know what he was doing in that time? They were the new priests. And he was creating individuals so that when you looked into the face of a disciple, you know what you could see? The image of a heavenly father. That's why Jesus told them, when you're praying, you call him father. Jews, again, what they had taught, they couldn't even say God's name. He was that holy. And then when Jesus finished, the individuals who reflected God said, here's the way you refer to him. Not only can you say his name, but when you say his name, say it this way. Daddy, Father. Abba, Father. That's who he is. And in creating people who did that, you know what Jesus was doing? 
clearly reflecting the face of God. How do you know what God is like? Who do you look to? You look to the disciples in their writing because they were the ones that were able to reflect because that's what Jesus came to do. Um, God deals with depravity. There was a lot of depravity. You know what God does? He deals with depravity by dealing with darkness. When we can't see the face of God, depravity happens. If depravity is the fruit of the problem, and darkness is the root of the problem. If that's the way it is, how do you resolve the problem of depravity? What you do is you create somebody who reflects the face of God because that's the way to solve the problem. That's at the root of the problem, looking up and not seeing God clearly, feeling insecure, frightened, self-protective. I can't trust him. He's not a God of justice. That's what Jesus came to do. He said, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me. Is he talking about Sheep in particular or shepherds in particular? Sheep in general or shepherds in particular? He's talking about shepherds, Levites. See, the problem, we get mixed up here. Some people think, well, then God must function this way. Okay, you're going to be a Christian and you're not. You're going to be a Christian. I'm not going to call you. I'll call you. I won't call you. I'll call you. They take a verse like this that is not applying to servants. It's applying to stewards. It's not applied to sheep. It's applied to shepherds. He's doing this because the sheep can't follow God if a shepherd doesn't reflect the face of God. Does that make sense? So if, he's got, if God's going to reflect his face, he has to clean up some people to and through whom the face of God can be revealed. That's what he's talking about. So God doesn't select some people to go to heaven and some people not to. In this context, he's selecting mirrors. So when Jesus leaves, there are mirrors in place to reflect the face of God. It's why Jesus challenged the Pharisees. They were, they were like, you ever, you ever, you've seen the silver tray, haven't you? When it gets all tarnished, you can't see much in it. That's what the Levites had become. Jesus came to purify them, shine them up. And he didn't shine them up. He replaced them with disciples who didn't have religious degrees. I'll tell you what they did have. They knew the Father because they knew Jesus reflected the Father and they knew Jesus. And because they knew Jesus, they knew him. Jesus' purpose was to create interfaces. You know what an interface is? I found a definition of interface. I talked about it at the wedding this weekend. Um, as applied to Haley and Tyson, they very much are committed to wanting to know God and reflect him and a theological counseling kind of ministry. Um, an interface, I look at the definition, a point where two systems meet and interact. That's what an interface is. 
a point where two systems meet and interact. And do you know what Jesus shined up? Interfaces. Those who could look at the face of God and reflect what they saw in relationships. That's why he did. That's what he did. Creates interfaces. The first interface was Moses. Right? Interface. Beheld the face of God. Came down from the mountain. Reflected that face towards people. Interface. You know what Jesus creates? Interfaces. We get to know God. We need one another to know him, don't we? Reflecting God, beholding and reflecting. That's what Jesus came to do, create interfaces. The people weren't connected with God in Malachi's day. What was the problem? Something wrong with the interfaces. Um, and what it says when, when he shines them up in the last verse, Malachi in this section, that then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by. People couldn't bring offerings and sacrifices because their hearts weren't. No, it's not about their, because the interfaces were wrong. The Levites were cloudy, fuzzy. And so in order to fix the problem with the people, he had to fix the problem with the shepherds that were guiding the people. Right? That's Jesus' mission. They weren't just complaining, though, in that day about why good things happen to bad people. They also complained about why bad things happen to good people, which says in Malachi 3. You've said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You've said it's futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. Even those who challenge God escape. I think we understand that. And that's how you know what they looked around and they saw? Crime pays and spirituality doesn't. Give up. What are we worrying about this for? Why do we even try to walk with God? I mean, how has it benefited you? That's what they're saying in those days. What has it benefited us to go like mourners before the Lord Almighty when he doesn't make a distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous? Bad people experience good things. Good people experience bad things. Where is this God of justice? Blessed are the arrogant. Interesting. Remember Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. You know what he, in his rearview mirror, people who come to the place, blessed are the arrogant. Um, in the midst of cynicism, some who believed in God's promises, in spite of evidence to the contrary. Can I tell you what faith is? Listen to me. Faith is confidence in God's promises in spite of evidence to the contrary. Confidence in God's promises, in spite of evidence to the contrary. Believing what God says more than what your eyes see. We look around, where is this God of justice? Will God balance the scales? He says he will. 
Um, that's what happened. Those who, it says in Malachi, feared the Lord, talked with each other. The Lord listened and heard, and a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. You know what they had to do? They had to hold on to the reality of what they saw and hold on to God's promises at the same time. And that's what those who feared. You can't stick your head in the sand and say, I'm not going to look at anything around me. I'm going to keep my faith in God. And That's not faith. That's denial. Hypocrisy. You've got to be able to look at the reality of life it groans, these groaning things. Hold on to concerns and hold on to God's hand at the same time. That's faith. That's faith. Um, God promises that he one day change the price tags. The end of Malachi says in chapter 3, They will be mine in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them just as in compassion. A man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. You know what he's saying? He's making a promise. One day God will change the price tags. It's not now. Jesus comes a second time. He'll be large and in charge. There won't be any confusion. You will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. The hardest thing to do, and at that time, when that occurs, you won't have to live by faith anymore. You live by sight. It will be clear, sheep and goats. The distinction will be unmistakable, and we'll be able to live by sight. And, but you know what the hard thing is? It's living in the not yet, isn't it? Living in the not yet. hard part. Waiting is the hard part. But look what it says in Philippians. Paul writes, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. You know what's happening? You know what happened in the early church? Just to give us some context. Discrimination based on class and gender was tolerated in the early church. Discrimination based on class and gender was tolerated in the early church. Discrimination based on race, that's what Paul attacked. The fact is, though, that slavery was tolerated. And women were discriminated against. It's just what was, God doesn't change everything at once. And, and I think this could well be what happened to Euodia and Syntyche. They had traveled with Paul and was part of his entourage. 
And when he says, I ask that you would accept loyal yoke fellow, loyal yoke fellow is a leader of the church that Paul is writing to. And, and he is encouraging this man to accept or receive these women. You know what I think was going on? Again, there's different views. We don't always know. The Bible, the letters of the Bible are one-way phone, are two-way phone conversations. If I have a phone, um, mm-hmm. and letters are one side of the conversation. But there's another side of the conversation that we can't hear. We have to plug in. And I think, I think what might have been happening, there were individuals flooding into this place that Euodia and Syntyche could see. They knew it because they traveled with Paul. They were part of his entourage. They, they, they ministered at his side. Paul was very open to women in ministry. You know what happened, though? The Jews were not. Paul was an exception. Jesus was an exception as well. Um, what ended up happening, though, they moved into this place, and this loyal yoke fellow, I think Euodian and Syntyche are saying, we've got trouble here. And, and what I think this yoke fellow did is said, you're a woman, you probably should just be quiet. It's not even profitable to teach a woman the law. So if you've got your views, fine, go, go share them in a woman's group. Or, yeah, go, go share them with some other women. Leave the men alone. I think that might have been what was happening. But you know what the deal is? They knew what was happening. And because their voice was not heard, you know what I think what happened? They started to feel, well, how would you feel? Well, how do you feel? How do you feel? Discounted? What does it mean? What does it feel like to be discounted when you know there's danger? And you're saying, and it's like, you know those dreams where you're saying things all The church really needed to hear what they were saying. But this yoke fellow wouldn't let them speak. And then they react by your insensitivity. What were you? And you know know what's happening, though? You know what happened? They lost perspective a little bit. It's possible when you can see things clearly to assume that if you don't make justice happen, God's work is going to go to hell in a handbasket. If I see a problem, and if you don't listen to me correct this problem, God's work is done. If I don't fix it, it's not going to happen. That's what can happen. That's what can happen. And I think that's what happened to Euodian Syndicate. I think anxiety became rife. And here's what Paul says to them. Do not be anxious about anything and everything. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Just don't worry out loud, thinking by worrying you're going to save the work of God. Talk to him. Talk to him. Hold your concerns. Hold his commitments and talk to him. You know what? You know what? It's, um, this is, and what he says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will card your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is not a nice thing. We've talked about this before. The peace of God in the context is a military presence. It's an armed guard. And what he tells you, Odie and Syntyche, you're not going to be able to just relax and deal with this. If you don't have a voice, and the problem with discrimination is the people doing the discriminating are not emotional. I'm sorry, you're a woman, and you just don't count. I'm just saying. 
You know, you don't have to say, you're a woman. Just say it. That's the way discrimination. I'm sorry, you're black, and blacks just don't cut it. The problem when you're discriminated against is that it triggers strong reactions, does it not? And when those reactions are true, what do you mean? And then, see, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. See, look at the reaction. Is the other person you want leading you spiritually? Hmm? That's diabolical. But the burden falls upon those who are discriminated against. That's what Martin Luther King ended up teaching. Nonviolent reactivity. Hard thing to learn. And this is what Paul is telling. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Present your requests. The peace of God will guard your heart and keep it in Christ Jesus so that you can reflect. Would you agree with me that um, representing God with breathless concern misrepresents him? Representing God with breathless concern? <laughs> you know, God's almost out of me. And if you don't give, I mean, I don't know what he's going to do. I think, you know, this, he's, God's tapped out. You just, you know, I just, and, if, and so you really need to give. And that kind of breathless concern, who do you think you're representing? God of the universe does not panic. He's not threatened. And those who represent him, we are to represent him with a sense that, you know what, it might look bad now, but I'm not putting my faith in what I see. I'm putting my faith in what he says. And one day he will balance the scales and he will adjust the price tags. That is going to happen. And when we put our confidence in that and when we're open to him, then we can reflect him by breathing. It's interesting. I saw this passage and... Um, this was instructions for the high priest. You're going to say, Mike, what are we talking about the high priest for? Let me read two passages and so I can make my point. You, you won't, it won't kill you. <laughs> the high priest, the one among his brothers, who has had the anointing oil poured on his head and who has been ordained to wear the priestly garments. This is in Leviticus. Don't open to that book in your Bible some of us have dust allergies. And if that opened, <coughs> I, went, I went to visit somebody once on a pastoral call, and the book was open to Leviticus chapter 20 in this big Bible that was put right in the middle of the kitchen table. You know, the pastor's coming, Elvira, get out the Bible. <laughs> okay, he ends up going on. Okay, Mike, make your point. Uh, this, the high priest must not let his hair become unkempt or tear his clothes. The high priest was not allowed to let his hair be unkempt or tear his clothes. You tore your clothes when there was something so egregious that you said, that's it. Mm. A high priest was, you know, and why would that be? Because the high priest represents the high priest represents, and God never tears his clothes because he never needs to. He's not threatened. He's not on his last dime. And those who represent him are not to tear his clothes. Interesting. 
Listen to this. I say to all of you, Jesus said, in the future you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus knew it's going to be, he's going to work out. The high priest tore his clothes. Isn't that interesting? The high priest tore his clothes. Not a real good representative, was he? Tearing his clothes. How about us? How can we represent God in the manner he would have us? Neither denying reality nor denying God's promises. How do you reflect God? By holding on to both. Denial is not spirituality. It's hypocrisy. To turn your, way, turn your head away from what's real is not honest. To turn your face away from promises is not hopeful. So we've got to hold on to our concerns and hold on to God's commitments. You know what you talked about it? Breathing. Exhale. Inhale. If you're going to be on a long journey, you need to exhale and inhale. What happens if you exhale? Some of us have problems inhaling God's commitments. We're really good at exhaling concerns. No problem there. We could talk from here till the end of time about look at this and look at this and look at this and she did this and he said that and she did this. And she went there and concern, 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 but there's exhaling, exhaling, but there's no inhaling. No balanced with God's commitments. If you've got a long journey, you've got to balance exhaling and inhaling. Some of us are really good at inhaling. No. Clinton, we're not going there. We're not going there. Didn't inhale. We're good at inhaling commitments. But you know what? We turn a blind eye to reality. And that's not faith either. That's dissociation, pretending that we live in a place. Taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, as it is. Jesus did not pretend about things. There were all kinds of terrible things happening, and Jesus didn't turn a blind eye. He saw them, and he balanced seeing the concerns with seeing the face of his Father, and he reflected that. So, our worship team, come on up. Here's my challenge to you. Balance inhaling God's commitments with exhaling your concerns. Breathe in and out, in and out. It would look like this. God, I'm frightened about our political arena in this election. I don't know if I like the candidates. Exhale. Inhale. But thank you that you put men in place. You're ultimately the one who is in charge. Inhale. Exhale. That's the way you can run a race with endurance. If you um, need to brush up on commitments, 
might check out 40 Days with the Ten Commitments, the book on the back as you leave. This is a suggested donation. You can't do it. Grab the book. Because, um, you, again, if you, you can't hold what you're not aware of. And so we're pretty well aware of concerns, but God's commitments can be more challenging. If you haven't focused on them, do so. So you can hold both. Let um, me pray for us. What your word says, Jesus said in a directive passage, one that identified kingdom values in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. In your kingdom, there is no discrimination based on race, based on class, based on gender. That's your kingdom, but we live in a place of now and not yet. And I ask that you would give us a clear sense of who you are and ability to trust you in the not yet, especially if discriminated against. That's not from you. You allow it only for a time. Only for a time. When your kingdom comes and your will is done perfectly, that'll go away. But on this side of that, give us the ability to breathe, to inhale your commitments and to exhale our concerns so that your peace and station a perimeter around our hearts and keep us focused on Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.